Well, we've been studying Genesis. Let's uh, keep uh, moving along there. In chapter 3, last week, we saw the, the roots of sin and the, the pride and the rebellion that, that bring us to sin. Uh, now we're going to look at chapter 4, and we see the actual fruit of sin, the murder that takes place. We all have, have uh, recognized that, the murder of, of uh, Abel by his brother Cain. But there are a lot of firsts in chapter 4. There's the, uh, the first birth, the first worship, first sacrifice, first offering, first murder, the first mention of nomads, of people who, who just travel around, uh, the first cities, the first mention of tools, the first mention of music uh, and musical instruments, the first... Uh, guy who has two wives. Uh, the first poetry is in chapter 4. Uh, let's, let's read beginning in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 4. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, And it came about, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of your word. And Father, teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I have been asked about this chapter of scripture at least a jillion times what's going on here I've read a hundred sermons at least and dozens of commentaries about Genesis chapter 4 trying to make sense of what in the world happened two brothers bring their offerings to God both bring what they have Cain is a farmer, so he brings his, his, uh, his groceries. Uh, Abel is a shepherd, so he brings a sheep, a lamb. And they both come and acknowledge God as the giver of what they have. They, they honor God with, with, with what they bring. They come to worship. But the Bible says that God accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's. The um, doesn't say how. Doesn't say how they knew it. 
It just says they did know that Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not. And so I want to ask you, why? Why did God not accept Cain's offering? Because he didn't bring his best. That's one answer. That's one possible answer. There's three possible answers and then the one I'm going to give you. <laughs> he didn't require it. Huh? Okay. Some say that he didn't bring his best. It doesn't say the first fruits. Abel brought his first fruits, but Cain didn't bring his first fruits or his best. Others say that there's no sacrifice involved. Uh, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's one more. What's the other? <coughs> Okay, but that's not on the brothers. That's on, that's on God, and that's going to be my answer. So you've heard this too many times. No fair. No fair reading old notes. Attitude or, or pride. You know, Hebrews, Hebrews 11 says that Abel brought his offering by faith. Doesn't say anything about Cain's offering, but says Abel... Abel, by faith, offered his, his, uh, his worship, his sacrifice. So theologians have answered that all three of those ways. Just why doesn't God accept Cain's offering? And we, we try to answer it for hundreds of years. You know, going, going all the way back to the Reformers, John Calvin and Martin Luther and, and their followings, they, they've all tried to answer that question. The thing is, is that the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 doesn't even give a hint as to what the reason is. It just says that God didn't accept Cain's offering. Was it his attitude? We knew he has, a, a later on it shows that he has a bad attitude. He has a murderous attitude. We know that it wasn't, he didn't bring a sacrifice uh, there was no blood involved in, in Cain's offering. But, you know, there are offerings in the Old Testament that are, that are fruit offerings or grain offerings that, that they bring. Um, if there was some problem with Cain that was the reason for God not accepting his offering, and it was an important part of the story, don't you think it would have told us? So what do you think the reason might have been? And, and here's, here's what I think, and here's what Jennifer just, just pointed out. You didn't, didn't hear her. I think that a simple reading of the, of the text says this. It wasn't Cain who caused the problem. It was God. God caused the problem here. And here's what I mean. Yeah. Why was it so important for us to know why Cain's offering was not accepted? Why does it bother us? Well, because we don't want to offer that kind of offering. You know, we want to, we want an offering, we want to make an offer of an offering that God will accept from us. And I think we begin to learn something about God and about ourselves when we start thinking about this. Because the first thing that we learn as we read this if we think about it, and just the words that are there, is that God is God. 
Now that seems like a, a, a strange thing, an obvious statement to make, but think about it just a minute. God is God. Who decides what God likes? God does. Who decides what God accepts? God does. Who decides what God is going to do? God does. God and God alone decides what he wants, what offering he'll accept, whose offering he accepts. He is God and he's free to do whatever he chooses. There's a theological term for that. You know what it is? Sovereignty. It's the sovereignty of God. God doesn't owe anything to anybody. Okay? Now, it's easy for us to say that until we start looking exactly what does it mean. What it means is that God doesn't have to operate by our standards or by standards that we set for him or in accordance with our expectations. He is free to do what he wants. He is God. And, and some of you are already getting your ire up a little bit because you don't like that. That means that God isn't in a box for us. You know, when out, of, out in my garage, I wish I could say I was really, really organized, but I'm not really, really organized. But I do have a bunch of boxes in there, and I've got them in a box, and I've got written on the outside what's in that box, and that's what's in that box. And in our lives, we like to organize our life that way. And one of the things we like to do is put God in a box and say, this is what God is like. This is what God likes. This is what God does. And this is what I expect of God. And God better do for me what I expect. We would like to have a God that we can make an into a meme and put it on Facebook. And it's, it's all true. Everything is right about, about what it says there. We know everything about God. We want to know God, and, and there's nothing wrong with knowing God, but we want to know God and chat with him like we do a friend over coffee or tea or whatever you, you do to drink. And you realize there's no place in the Bible that talks about a God like that. That's not what God is like. So I want us to think just a little bit about what this may be saying about God and maybe understand something about him and know more than we, than, than we maybe even want to know. But understand enough that our offering is, is not uh, rejected. That's what we want. We want to know exactly what we have to do to make God happy. We want to know exactly what we have to do and that's where we begin to get off the right road. Because what happens is we slip into an attitude toward God that bases our relationship on him on the conditions that we do what he says that we do. In other words, we do certain things. We reduce God to a mechanism that says, I push this button, God does this. I say this prayer, God answers this way. I obey all the rules, say the right prayers, believe the right things. I get all the religious stuff down pat. And we assume that the, the quality of our worship, the kind of our sacrifices, the length of our prayers, the amount of our tithe, 
the number of times we go to the altar will cause God somehow to be happy with us. We push the button and God responds. And if truth be known, we're afraid to trust a God that we can't anticipate. We want God to do what we think he should do. We want him in a box. We want to be able to control him. If we do this, then God will do that. And, you know, that may be more of a problem for pastors than it is for you guys. Because people come in and they ask a pastor and they want me to, they want me to explain God. Or they want me to um, justify God. Or justify what, what's happened. And, and I feel in order to meet your expectations, I've got to be able to do that. But I've got to tell you, I can't do it. I can't anticipate what God is going to do. And the stark reality of this whole story in Genesis chapter 3, I mean ch- chapter 4, we're going to get back to it in a second, is that God is God and we don't have a box big enough to put him in. He's bigger than we are. He refuses to be controlled by us. One biblical scholar put it this way. He is the kind of God represented by the lion in C.S. Lewis's Chronicle of Narnia, Aslan is not a tame lion. Now, do you guys know that story? You know the story about the Chronicles of Narnia and Mr. Beaver? <coughs> These children go through the wardrobe and they get into this magical land. And, you know, it's, it's all a... Uh, it, it all has a Christian story to it. C.S. Lewis wrote it as a Christian story for children. And... Um, Mr. Beaver is talking to one of the children, Susan. Susan's got in there, and Mr. Beaver is going to take Susan to meet Aslan the lion. Now, the lion represents Jesus Christ. He represents the Savior. He's the one that's going to to defeat the enemy and restore uh, justice to, to Narnia. And so he's telling her about it, and, and Susan says, uh, or he, the beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king. That's what we need to understand about this passage. God's not in his box, but he's good. And I think I'm a little uncomfortable with the God that I don't always know exactly what he's going to do. Wouldn't we be a little bit more happy if he was predictable? Folks, God isn't predictable. But if he would run the world in a certain way and we could have a predictable God and then we could live a safe life in that predictable world and everything would happen like we expect it to happen and there were no surprises and everything just lived according to the plan, 
How much faith would it take to live like that? Zero. It wouldn't take faith. So we're faced here with a God who isn't reduced to our idea of how he should act. It's a sovereign God who doesn't live according to our expectations. Here's a God who's not all light. There's also darkness. It's a God who's not all love. There's also wrath. He's not all peace. There's also judgment. And we're uncomfortable when, when we read those things. Because it's a side of God that we can't control. So, I don't know why God didn't accept Cain's offering. It may have been any one of those three reasons. It may have been all of them. It may have been none of them. But I don't understand a lot of things about what God does. Why does God allow so many innocent people to die? I don't know that. Why does he allow the school shootings to take place? Why does he allow the terrorists to knock down buildings? Why does he allow that to happen? Why does he allow good Christian people, my friends, to get cancer? And why doesn't he answer our prayer and, and cure him of cancer? I can't answer that. I don't know the answer to that. One of our um, classmates on Friday night showed us a picture of her, it's her great-grandchild, wasn't it? Yeah. She's my age and she has great-grandchildren. And she showed us a picture of her great-grandchild that had had surgery the day before. They had shaved his head and cut a thing all the way across his head and broke his skull. <laughs> That's not the word they use. Cut it open so it could expand and grow. He's four well, months old and his sutures and his soft well, spots have all been used. <laughs> they're not being brutal. They're no, they're doing it for his good. <laughs> but why does God allow that to happen? To babies. That baby didn't do nothing. Kind of reminds us of the Pharisees in, in, uh, in the in the Gospels, it says, why, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? You see, if we, if we could say, well, it's because the parents are sinners, that's why that happened, or because the, the, the child was going to be a sinner. Because, see, then, then we could realize and justify what God has done. I don't understand it. Because God is bigger than my box. And so, what I want us to do, what, you know, my goal this morning, I want, I want you to get a grasp of the mystery and the awesomeness of God. He's not something we control. He's not in our box. And we can't say things like God must do this or God will do this. We need a recovered sense of holiness and who God is and realize that, folks, God is not safe, but he's good. But he's good.
So, so let's look back. Let's, let's look back at, at, at Genesis 4 again. It may be what this passage is about. It may not be about the offerings at all. It may be about the reactions. The reactions. Maybe it's about Cain's reaction. Because we realize that Cain is angry. It tells us right away that, that Cain is angry. Um, maybe he's angry at his brother. I mean, that's who he kills. But most likely, he's angry with God, but he can't kill God, so he kills the one that he can kill. And it's interesting when you read it, God doesn't even seem to be upset by his anger. It's something I think we need to take seriously in the story because the issue is not Cain's offering or Cain's attitude in the offering. The real story, I think, is how does Cain respond to a sovereign God? God didn't accept his offering. How does he respond to that? God doesn't answer his prayer. How does he respond to that? God doesn't save his loved one from cancer. How do we respond to that? I think that may be more about what this is about. When God doesn't do what I think he should do, how do I respond to it? How do I live with it? So God prods Cain a little bit, kind of like a father would question his son. Uh, Cain, why are you angry? Why, why, why are you depressed? Why is your countenance fallen? And there's not any hostility. There's not any anger back from God in those questions. You know, God knew why he was angry. Here he's prodding Cain to make the right choice and control his anger. He gives Cain a choice. He says, if you'll do well, or will you not do well? What's going to happen here? And Cain did not do well. He killed his brother. And so then God comes back and questions him again. Cain, where is your brother? Cain lies. I don't know. There's an interesting word. He says, he says, am I brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Um, and we would respond back, yeah, you're your brother's keeper, but you're really not. The word keeper is the word shepherd. The word could be translated as Cain saying to God, am I my brother's shepherd? Well, he is not his brother's shepherd. Who, who's the shepherd? God's the shepherd. God's the shepherd. So, the Bible describes God all through the Old Testament and then Jesus in the New Testament as the shepherd He's the shepherd of Israel. He's the shepherd of his people. He is the good shepherd. God is the shepherd of human beings. And so to Cain's question, we might say, yeah, we are our brother's keeper. But the answer is really no. We do not keep our brother like a shepherd keeps a sheep. Cain stands before the only one in the universe who is the shepherd of people. And he says, am I my brother's shepherd? 
And God says, no, you're not, but I am. And you've killed my sheep. Then I want you to look. If I haven't been confusing enough yet, look what else happens here. Talk about things we don't understand. Verse 11, I read 11 through 13. I want to read now 11 through 15. He says, Now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Now, if this was the God that was in my box, that wouldn't have been the punishment Cain got. What would be the punishment for killing your brother? It would be a capital punishment. If I were God, I would have killed Cain on the spot and started all over. Just wiped the slate clean. Because that's what should happen to brother killers. In fact, in the Mosaic Law later, it, that is the punishment for murder. Mut, murder. <laughs> murder. This God who is free and sovereign, why does he tolerate somebody like Cain in his world? God is holy, he is pure, and he is just, and yet he allows Cain to exist. He allows evil to exist. It's in our world. It's all around us. We see it. And so if, if, if God were in my box, he would get rid of that. He does punish Cain. Cain has to leave. He is banished from the fellowship of, of, old, of other brothers. He must live his life east of Eden. I think it's interesting. I, there's no theology involved in this. I just think it's interesting. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were sent to the east. And when Cain sins, he's sent further east. So what does that tell you? You want to live in the west. Okay? That's, Forget that. I just saw that in there. So he has to live outside of Eden, away from Eden, away from Adam and Eve, and away from where God's people are. He's alienated from God and his brothers. And he says it's, it's too much to bear. It's a crushing consequence. And so, God puts this mark on him. I don't know what the mark is. All I can tell you is that it proclaims his guilt 
But more than that, look, look what it says. It not only proclaims his guilt, it proclaims his protection from God. God put the mark on him not so people would know he was guilty. God put the mark on him so people would know he was protected. So that they wouldn't kill him. And so the very, and, and listen to this. This is a, a profound statement, if I say so myself. The very mark of our guilt is the sign of God's grace in our life. It's not fair that Cain lives and Abel dies. It's really not fair that now Cain is going to be protected by God. The brother is violated and Cain should pay and Cain should pay. And I, I, I confess, I don't understand why God let him live. I don't understand why God still cares enough about him to protect him. I don't understand why God didn't accept his offering. I don't understand why God allows evil people to live. Why does God not run his world a little better so that violations would be punished? So, so you see, this isn't a God that I control. It's not a God that I understand. It's a God who's bigger than my box for him. He's beyond my capacity. But not only is he beyond my capacity in understanding his justice, this God is merciful beyond my expectations. even beyond my capacity to find what merciful means. I don't understand this God, but I am so thankful for it. This is God who's not safe, but he's good. And the reason that's important for us is because he is the one who, despite my sin, has accepted me by his grace. He is the one who punished Cain. And, you know, I don't know if Cain ever repented and came back. Whether he did or not, I have no idea. What I do know is that God allowed him to live so he could. If he didn't, it's on him. Because God gave him the opportunity. And so I think this whole story is about how do we respond to a sovereign God? Do we respond in faith? Do we, res do we respond in trust to a God who does things that we don't understand? We try to, I think. In 1 John chapter 3, listen, listen to what it says. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. When I was a kid growing up in church, all the men in the church called one another brother. Do do y'all remember that? Brother Johnson. I worked for Brother Johnson several times. He ran the lumber yard. Brother Scales, he was the janitor at the school, but he was Brother Scales when I saw him. You know, Brother Butler, he was a teacher that gave me a paddling one time. He gave me a paddling at school, but at church he was Brother Butler. Ha. You understand what I'm saying? We called it one of the brothers. And, and sisters, brothers and sisters. We called each other sisters. No, I didn't call, nobody called me sister. But I called other sisters. You know? And Jesus said, or John said, our responsibility is to love one another. Not like Cain, but like God who loved both Cain and Abel. And he extended grace to Cain. I know it doesn't surprise you about me when I start preaching. You know it's always going to come down to that, right? This is about grace. This is about grace. And I'm so thankful for grace because that's why I'm here. This is about a God of grace. I don't understand everything about him. I don't understand what he does. Sometimes, like Paul says in Romans, I don't even know how to pray. I just, I just stop and let the Holy Spirit pray for me. Let, you know, somehow or another, God, let, let this be known. Because I don't understand. But I do know this. He loves me, and he loves you. And even though he's not safe, he's good. And that's what I need. Do you have that God? Do you know that God? Do you you trust God in that way? Do you want God in your box? Or do you want to love the God who created the world and everything that's in it? I tell you, he's a much more powerful God than any God you can keep in a box. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your goodness. Thank you for teaching us that if we don't know anything else, we can't answer all the questions. We can't answer the big ones. And that is you loved us so much that you offered grace to us through our Lord Jesus Christ.
Father, I pray that you would just help us to trust you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand.